Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and glad to help you on your journey toward senior leadership in the charitable world. Thanks for listening. If you're a current nonprofit leader or hope to be one, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit experts who are on the cutting edge of our sector. And if you would do me a favor, share this episode with one other person so that we can continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. Speaking of cutting edge, I had another fantastic conversation in this episode with Jim Taylor. He's the VP for Leadership Initiatives and Education at BoardSource, which is the go-to resource for everything related to nonprofit boards. Now, in this episode, Jim dives into the Leading with Intent report, which is the signature research project that BoardSource produces every couple of years. And it really is an invaluable resource for you as a nonprofit leader. Jim breaks down how the study was conducted, what are the key takeaways to which you and your board leadership needs to pay most attention. And as always, Jim provides practical advice if your nonprofit perhaps is dealing with some of the issues that the report lifts up. Definitely something you should review, learn more from Jim, and share with your board leadership themselves. Now, Jim highlights a number of tools and specific resources, so you'll definitely want to check out the show notes. This is episode number 120. Just go to the podcast or the news page at patentmcdowell.com, and you'll find out about all these resources Jim refers to, as well as more information on Jim and the great work he's doing through BoardSource. Speaking of resources, check out the new podcast page at patentmcdowell.com. We've got a new look, and while I am biased, I think it looks really sharp. So check it out. Let us know if you have any ideas or suggestions as to how we can continue to make this podcast more effective for you as a nonprofit leader. Of course, connect with us. We're on all the primary social media channels, and we are always open to a good old-fashioned phone call. Let's talk about your nonprofit, what it's thinking about in terms of strategy, how you're engaging your board of directors, speaking of the topic of this episode, and Maybe you and I can talk about your leadership journey. What's next for you, and are there ways we can help you, including coaching, training, or maybe our unique mastermind program? Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jim Taylor. Jim, thank you for joining me on the path. Thank you for having me back, Patton. Really, really happy to be here today. Uh, I'm equally excited, Jim. Your episode number 35 was one of our most popular of all time. And you raised such important questions, not only the resources that BoardSource can provide, but the topics that so many nonprofit leaders, both board and staff are wrestling with. Certainly DEI and just the overall functioning of boards. We've survived this pandemic so far, but these issues continue. And I'm delighted to unpack with you your latest from Board Source, the Leading with Intent report. It has so much good information, but let me start with that, Jim. Why should nonprofit leaders learn more from this report? Well, I think the latest Leading with Intent is really important for nonprofit leaders to understand because it provides a snapshot of board strengths and challenges 
um, as they relate to, to nonprofit board composition and practices and performance and culture. Um, Leading with Intent also collects responses and feedback from, from chief executives and board chairs on several important questions for nonprofit leaders. You know, questions like, you know, who serves, who serves on today's nonprofit boards? And what matters most when it comes to boards' roles and responsibilities? What impact are boards having on organizational performance? Um, how do boards conduct their work and how well are they fulfilling their many roles and, and responsibilities? And how are boards composed and organized? You know, I think boards need to understand the answers to these types of questions and, and issues as they seek to, to bridge societal divisions and to develop solutions to the societal challenges that we face. And we feel that leading with intent is a great resource to help boards come to terms with the current trends and challenges and best practices um, in, in those areas. You know, every one of the questions or topics you mentioned, Jim, in fact, should be part of the next board discussion for a nonprofit leader, uh, the next staff discussion. And obviously, we're going to link to it in our show notes. I, I guess for those not familiar with board source and what I believe is your signature study, this leading uh, with intent report. What what is the history of the report, Jim, and how do you design it, if you will? Sure. Um, well, yes, you're you're right, Patton. Uh, leading with intent, it really is our signature uh, research report, and, and it goes all the way back to to 1994. That was really the first year that the study was conducted. Um, this is our this year's study is our tenth since 1994. So we've produced leading with intent on average. Uh, approximately every three years since 1994. Um, regarding the methodology for this year's study, we received over 800 individual responses. Um, about 84% of those responses were from chief executives and the remaining 16% from board chairs. Um, so I should note too that, that, the, that our, our survey um, really um, focuses on chief executives and board chairs. Um, the responses from this report are only from public charities, which is a, a difference from previous studies. Uh, I would also note that um, the respondents represent a, a broad sort of cross-section of public charities, in including organizations of a wide range of budget sizes. Um, they're from various geographic regions of the country and various mission areas as well. We would also want to note that, that while Leading with Intent provides valuable information about what's happening in boardrooms, um, there are some limitations regarding how much can be generalized to the broader public charity community because our sample for this study is a convenient sample rather than a representative or randomized sample. But even given this sort of acknowledgement, um, the study does provide insight into lots of the relative strengths and challenges uh, of these organizations that, that may be more applicable more broadly to, to, the, to the broader community. So then from a design perspective, you know, leading with intent is designed and organized into four broad categories. Uh, the first ca category is the work. You know, the work in terms of what boards do and, and how well they do it, how well they're fulfilling their basic strategic um, and, and sort of overall external leadership responsibilities. The second area is the people, you know, um, who boards are and how they're structured and understanding how having the right people on a board makes for higher performance, makes, makes higher performance more likely. The third area is the culture. How boards operate as a group. You know, how the board conducts its work um, from group dynamics to its relationship with the chief exec executive. Because we recognize that culture can help or hinder the board's ability to carry out its work. 
And then the fourth and final area um, is the impact. You know, you know what, what matters most when it comes to board leadership? That's what this, this section really looks at. And so Leading with Intent explores the board chairs and the chief executives perception of the board's impact on the organization's performance. And it looks at what, which board practices seem to be the most relevant in terms of the board's impact. I love it, Jim. And, and of course, we've had some preliminary conversations about it. And it seems to me all four of those areas are worthy of strategic conversation at a nonprofit leadership level. Of course, I, I'm eager to hear what you feel are the key conclusions. And maybe another way to put it, Jim, is that yeah, did anything surprise you having now you've been part of multiple leading with intent reports? What were some of the conclusions and did they surprise you at all? Yeah. Well, I would say um, I don't I don't know that I saw surprises as much as I saw um, that some of the things that were that are challenges to boards that, that have historically been challenges to boards continue to be challenges. Let's put it that way. Right. So let me um, so, so I'll share some three or four different um, samples of what I mean. So as far as conclusions, one of the conclusions we found was that boards are disconnected from the communities uh, and people that they serve. And, and so by that, what I mean is our study showed that um, almost half, 49% of all chief executives said that they did not have the right board members to establish trust with the communities that they serve. And only a third of boards, slightly less than a third, 32%, place a high priority on knowledge of the community served when recruiting for board members. And even fewer, 28%, place a high priority on membership within the community served. So these are real sort of disconnects that, that yep. have to be addressed. Yep. Um, I would say a second area is that um, we found that boards are somewhat ill-informed about the ecosystems in which they operate. You know, we found that only 25% of boards prioritize knowledge of the organization's work and field in, in board recruitment. And then even less, 11% of boards prioritize prior or current experience with a similar organization or mission area. So this data, data indicates that board members uh, generally don't have a clear or well-developed sense of the context in which they're operating and in which they are trying to make sense of what's happening around them. And, and that affects um, their ability to make, to make decisions. The Jim, let me ask you, and sorry to interrupt you, but I'm, I think it's worth underlining that point that one in 10 board leaders suggest that, or that board recruitment is based on a real knowledge of the mission and the community in which the nonprofit operates. So do I understand that correctly? In other words, nine out of 10 board members are coming on without maybe that essential knowledge of the, the work of the organization. Yeah, or, or, or at least, in fact, when, 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 when recruitment is taking place, right. th this is that, that factor of that prior knowledge or current experience with a similar organization or mission area is not being seen as a priority when boards go out to recruit. That, that's, that it's, it's not looked at as, as being a major factor. Um, so, so we're, we're only seeing that in 11% of the cases that boards yeah, are in. My goodness. Well, but I, I guess I'm guilty too, Jim, being part of organizations, often we're recruiting board members for their community status and their, and their fundraising potential. And we hope, I guess, to orient them to the cause, but do you think that's fair? Is that an accurate assumption, perhaps, about why we're still, I guess, failing to connect the way you described? 
Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because one of the other findings, one of the other major findings uh, in the report is that we found that boards are, are preoccupied with fundraising above all else. Right. Um, we, we found that 70% um, of chief executives rated fundraising as being very important. And in fact, they, they, re they recognized fundraising as being of higher importance in terms of how they rated it, higher importance than thinking strategically as a board or setting strategic direction. And Patton, you're hitting on such an important point because while we would certainly say that fundraising is an important role of a board, um, it is by no means the only role and responsibility of a board member. Right. And we and we found that in our report that that um, that when boards prioritize fundraising above all else, um, it comes at the expense of organizational strategy, relevance, and impact. And in fact, we found that executives that reported placing the highest level of importance on fundraising have lower ratings in several other key areas of performance as compared to those that do not place such a high importance on fundraising. So yes, you're right. When, when, when boards, you're, many boards do see fundraising as being the most important um, aspect of the board's role. And in doing so, it can lead to vulnerabilities when that same board is asked to make strategic decisions that will um, align with the needs and the priorities and the aspirations of the community served. Or when a board that is, that is focused on fundraising particularly um, is asked to, to select the right, the, the, the best uh, option in terms of selecting a CEO who will be able to connect with the community and cultivate trust. There are different areas of board responsibilities that um, a board may not be positioned as well to fulfill if they are aligned, if they, if they are comprised in such a way that wealth and access to, access to wealthy networks is the most important thing or is, is the factor that was used, utilized to determine who would be on that board. It, so it makes, right. yeah, Jim, it makes total sense. And again, if I'm brought on in what amounts to a transactional mode, fundraising is the priority. And in some cases, maybe the exclusive focus, ultimately that's gonna hurt us strategically. And so I, it seems to me your data supports that. And, and I guess I, I would repeat your point that you and the report doesn't suggest fundraising is not important, but I guess you want to see or you hope to see more strategic alignment with fundraising and the communities in which we serve. Exactly. And exactly. So that a board, um, a board should be comprised in such a way that it can fill, it, it can fulfill its three essential, essential functions, which are setting strategic direction, providing oversight. And ensuring resources, and but, but we would also note that, that um, setting strategic direction is the most essential of those board leadership roles. So a board should keep that in mind as it thinks about its board composition and how it can it can um, develop a board that is is composed in such a way that it is able to meet all of those all of those uh, functions. Uh, you're exactly right, and of course you're touching on issues of board composition and lack of diversity in board composition, particularly as it relates to the communities nonprofits are serving. In, in fact, Jim, did this leading with intent report, in fact, go deeper into issues of DEI? And what were some of the conclusions that it led to? Well, yes, Pat, it did. Uh, this year's leading with intent. Um, one thing that we did differently this year um, was that we, in addition to the core report that you and I just talked about, um, we developed a special diversity, equity, and inclusion 
focused supplement to leading with intent. And we feel that this was a really well-timed um, initiative to take on in terms of developing this new DEI focused version of leading with intent, given the, the national conversation that's going on right now around diversity, equity, and inclusion, especially with regard to racial equity. Um, for this year's leading with intent, the, the DEI focused supplement focuses on to what extent boards are reflective of the communities that they're seeking to serve, um, how boards are thinking about racial inequity as it relates to their mission and, and programmatic outcomes, and the, de the degree to which boards have adopted DEI focused practices. Um, I do wanna share a few findings from that uh, diversity, uh, equity and inclusion supplement. Absolutely. So, okay, sure. So um, the first is that um, we found that um, boards may be getting slightly more diverse, but, but they are far from representing the communities that they serve. Um, our study indicates that about 78% of board members are white. Um, about 19% of boards do not include a single person of color. So, so just to think about that for a second, about one fifth of boards based on our study do not include a single person of color. Um, we also found that um, about 71% of boards of, of board chairs said that they know that their that their board is not representative of the community that it serves. And then we found that um, only 24% of boards were placing a high priority on demographic diversity in terms of how they recruit. So when we think about that, that data, um, what, what, I, what I take away from that is that nonprofit leadership is not diverse at this moment. Um, it, knows and it, it knows that it's not diverse in terms of not being representative of the communities being served. Right. And at least at this point, at an aggregate level, we're not seeing the sector, we're not seeing the results yet that indicate that the sector is, is taking on different practices, different behaviors in order to become more diverse. So there is an awareness of the lack of diversity. Um, and, and largely there's, a, there's an acknowledgement that, that boards want to become more diverse, but that, that has not yet translated into actions. It has not yet translated into different behaviors um, for, for boards. Um, so, so, th so that is one of our findings, that board recruitment strategies are not yet aligned with diversity goals. So there may be some positive in an awareness and an acknowledgement, but frankly, there's still not the action or the results to suggest we're, we're doing something about it. Is that fair? That's fair to say. That's fair, absolutely fair to say. And, and I, I wanna call out a couple of examples of where these, these disconnects kind of show up. Um, we found that the two top methods for identifying board members when it comes to boards that are looking to, to add new board members um, is that boards reach out to the personal or professional context, contacts of, of board members, or they reach out to the chief executive's personal or professional contacts. Yep. Those are the two major ways that it happens. Now, those, there are times when those method, methods of recruitment may lead to positive outcomes, but I would urge boards to think of it this way. So if you're a board that's not diverse, and you decide that your preferred method of recruitment is to reach out to individuals that you or your chief executive already knows, then you're probably reaching out to individuals who are very similar to your existing board members. <laughs> yes, right? indeed. You know, right? So people who are of the same or similar socioeconomic background, people who probably share similar perspective and experiences. And frankly, if you're a predominantly white board, you're probably reaching out to people who are also, also white. Yep. So, so we believe that an over-reliance on recruiting people that you already know, people with whom you are already 
comfortable, if you will, leads to a scenario where you may be saying that you want to become much more diverse, but you're not likely to see much change happen. Right. right. Were there other conclusions there? Because you know it's leading to the question of, all right, what does board leadership do about exactly what you describe? Right, right. Well, um, I'll, I'll just share one more conclusion related to this same space um, around this disconnect, and then we'll get into what, what boards can do can do differently. Right. Um, with regard to um, the chief executive feedback, we found that 82% of chief executives say that racial diversity is important to external leadership. And then of that group, 70%, 70 said that they were dissatisfied with the racial composition of their board. But then only 50% have, have aligned board recruitment practices with diversity goals. So yes, at, this, at the awareness level, in, in terms of the acknowledgement, acknowledgement of the importance of racial diversity, again, we're seeing a high percentage, 82% of chief executives that would, that would say that that is true, that, that racial, racial diversity is important to external leadership. But once you get down to the, to the part where it's about aligning board recruitment practices with diversity goals, that's only 50%. Um, and so there's, there's something that's being lost in the process for, of, of awareness to a point where action takes place. And, and so we really wanna call that out and do as much, as much as we can to help boards get from a place of awareness to a place of action. That, that's, that's really what I consider to be uh, really my primary responsibility in this role and, and one of the things I am most devoted to in this role. So half, half of the nonprofit organization's leadership that you surveyed basically said, yeah, we're not doing some specific board recruitment objective around diversity. 80% say, yeah, we acknowledge the issue, but when it comes time to recruit, only half of them have what would amount to a tangible strategy to bring someone of, uh, of a diverse nature onto the board. Is that correct? That's, that's correct. That's well, correct. yeah, that's very interesting. And obviously it leads to where you and the resources board source provides can help us because let me start with that, Jim. All right, it's stark in my opinion as to what issue we're dealing with. We're saying the right things, we're not doing the right things. So what can board leaders do to address this issue that uh, you and I are talking about? Yeah, well, I would say, first of all, I am approached so often by organizations, by, by boards who, who say to me, you know, Jim, we, we wanna get off the sidelines with regard to racial equity work, but we don't know where to start. We, we really just don't know where, where to begin. How, how can you help us? And so in response, what I typically do is that I share with them what we, what we at BoardSource consider to be the five questions to get you started as a board in, in this space. They're intended to help uh, boards reflect on their level of commitment to making the kinds of changes that will be required if they're gonna be really sort of all in on this racial equity work. Right. Um, and so I wanna share with you the five questions that we, that we share with boards that we ask them to really sort of grapple with um, as they begin this work. The first, first couple of questions relate to the board's current composition. So first question is, is our organization's reputation being negatively or, or positively impacted by our board's current composition regarding diversity? And if someone were to make assumptions about our organizational values based on our current board composition, what would they be likely to think? The next couple of questions get more into 
um, really connecting with community, bringing the voice of community into, into the boardroom. And so, the, so this next question is, how well are we cultivating a deeper understanding of the community or the communities that we serve and bringing their perspectives, needs, feedback and priorities into our strategic boardroom discussions? And are we ever at risk of making decisions without fully understanding how these decisions might affect those that we serve? And then the, the last question that we pose to boards as they begin to do this work or, or consider this work is, that, is, the, is this question. If we were to make a deeper commitment to diversity, inclusion, and equity, what would that mean for our mission, our work, and the people that we serve? And we feel that these are the types of questions that the board needs to discuss so that they can get a sense of, of where they're starting from and determine kind of where they are, whether they have true consensus among themselves that they're committed to do this work going forward. And then once they've really established that they're ready to do the work, there are lots of things that they can do to recruit differently, to create a more inclusive culture, to become more equity focused in how they see the connection between inequity, inequity and, and the work that they do and, and the mission that they, that they serve. Um, but we wanna get them started with those, those really sort of fundamental questions for them to really do some introspective uh, reflections on, on where they stand in this, in this moment. Well, not only great fundamental questions, but immediately in my mind, it translates what for some I think is a, a difficult topic to understand fully, or at least to, to mobilize around. And your questions kind of force the organization to break it down uh, into a more practical manner. And that to me is fascinating. I, I, I worry that very few organizations are tackling those questions, but what a wonderful resource, Jim, you're providing. Well, thank you, Pat, I appreciate that. And it is, yes, this is a resource that, um, you know, we, we actually, we have a document that, you know, includes these five questions that we, we share with, with our audiences quite often and, and actually resides on our website. And then when I go out and talk to groups about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, I almost always, um, spend some portion of that time talking, sharing with them these five questions and encouraging them to, um, to have a conversation that centers around the, these questions. Yeah, because they're, they're practical and strategic and not just kind of nebulous in terms of the concept of DEI and, and inclusivity on the board, but hey, let's think about how our uh, reputation in the community is affected, what are the strategic implications of having a more diverse board or not, and um, I noticed, Jim, you appropriately start posing the question to board leadership, um, but I'm sure you would agree, or what, what are the kind of responsibilities of the CEO, the staff leader, in terms of this topic with his or her board? Well, yeah, Patton, yes, I would say I hear that the CEO, the chief executive plays a, a key role um, when it comes to um, their their sort of responsibilities and, and their role related to this work. Um, CEOs, as you know, really occupy a unique space in organizations. You know, they, they serve as the bridge between the board and staff on various issues related to the, to the operations of the organization, um, it's including on, on, with regard to racial equity. And we also recognize that CEOs are closer to the work of the organization in general. And, are they are likely to have a clearer sense of the specific impact of racial inequity um, in today's, in the organization's day-to-day -day work environment. 
and they can play a, a major role in motivating the board to prioritize racial equity in its discussions, strategies, and action plans. I think another important role of CEOs is that they, they need to work to keep the board and the, st the staff aligned enough in racial equity work to avoid the, the challenges that could come um, from varying degrees of understanding and commitment and action from the individuals that on staff relative to the individuals on the board. So I, I wanna share a story uh, of my own board experience that kind of relates to the importance of the CEO's role in, in sort of serving as this bridge between board and staff. You know, I, I serve on the board currently of a, of a homeless shelter. And um, for much, during my early years at the, at the shelter on the board, we didn't really have much of a racial equity plan to speak of, um, even though the majority of clients that we serve are people of color in, in this homeless shelter. But over, over the years, one of the things that the staff um, has identified as something that they really wanna focus on is an initiative that they refer to as ban the box. And what the staff is getting at with this ban the box initiative is that when, um, some of, when someone is filling out uh, an application to, um, for a, an apartment that they would like to rent, on that rental application, there is a box that asks you the question of whether you have a record, uh, any sort of criminal record in terms of a conviction. Or, right. Um, and, and, and that question in and of itself, um, if, if you check yes on that, yes to that box, to that question, you, it, it may really hinder your opportunity to get, to, to, to be approved to, to be able to move into that apartment. You'll get disqualified almost immediately in some cases, right? Right, right. And, and so given the inequity that we know exists in the, in the criminal justice system, it is, the staff is, re, is really quite passionate about getting rid of the box, banning the box on those rental applications to create a more equitable environment for the homeless the people who are homeless that we serve, that the, that, the, that that homeless shelter serves. And so we didn't know as a board, the staff was doing that work and was, was really passionate about that work until the CEO brought it to our attention as a board. And, um, and the, we, then we learned that the staff really wants to engage with the board, not in, every step along the way in terms of the work that the staff is doing around racial equity, but at various sort of um, milestone points, the staff and the board would like to have check-ins to just see what's happening with the staff's work in that space. And then for us as a board, as we, as we are now developing a racial equity plan, a multi-year plan ourselves, for us to share with the staff kind of what's happening with the plan and the things that the board will commit to as it goes forward. Um, the CEO is that bridge, you know, is that person who sort of has a foot in both worlds in terms of knowing what the board is focused on and knowing what the staff is focused on and coordinating the communication, coordinating the understanding coordinating the actions that are taking place to make sure that, um, that, that everyone knows what's happening organization-wide. Um, so, so I just wanna call that out as being something that's really important for lots of issues as it relates to how, how an organization operates, but um, particularly in this racial equity space that we're discussing today. Uh, it's a fascinating example. And, and you touched on it earlier. And I wonder, Jim, do you believe the resistance from board members to get into the the space of diversity and equity and things like that, that they come in with a mindset that my job is kind of financial health. I'm here to raise money. I'm here to oversee the budget. And it seems to me that is the license many board members use, whether they say it out loud, 
to frankly not explore issues of diversity, which they might consider programmatic. Is that fair? Um, and how do you kind of view those types of responses maybe to uh, board members or board leaders who don't really want to explore this? I think that's a great question. And I would say this, Patton, I think there are times when that's that the scenario you just described is true, that that board may see their role as being in that sort of fundraising or, or financial space. And, and so this this feels like it's it's outside of their of what they perceive to be their responsibility. Um, but what I would also say is that I think what I the resistance that I have encountered in terms of the, the stories that I hear when I'm talking to organizations. Um, what I hear is that boards sometimes are reluctant, certain board members may be reluctant uh, to, to go too far out in terms of making explicit statements around racial equity um, because they think that um, it may be in doing such, a, in, in making these statements around racial equity, there might be, might be some longtime donors who might prefer that the organization not be quite so explicit. Right. Um, right. Longtime donors for whom this whole conversation about racial equity is uncomfortable, let's say. Um, yeah. and, and, some, or, and in fact, frankly, for some board members, this conversation is, is probably uncomfortable at times. And so they would rather just not go there because, because traditionally the board hasn't done that. So this feels, this feels outside of tradition. It feels uncomfortable to do it. Um, and so there's a, there's a reluctance and a concern that um, some longtime donors may be turned off, if you will. Right by by an organization taking this stance. Um, the other thing I would note is that I've he I've heard of situations in which organizations and, and boards sometimes are sort of missing this moment, missing the connection between racial inequity and this moment that we're going through with with the pandemic. You know, I, I know of organizations where boards have said um, we're going to get to this equity work, but we just have to get through the pandemic first. We just have to get through this moment. And my answer to that is that. You know, frankly, this is the moment when you should be even more focused on issues related to equity, because if, as, as we know, the pandemic has um, shined a light on um, the, the, dis the, the wide disparities we see. And it's had such a disparate, dis disparate impact, uh, disproportionate impact on communities of color. And so to wait till the pandemic is over to address these, um, these impacts is to miss this moment because this is the moment when it's, when it's important right now. It's not about something to, to, to deal with six months from now or a year from now. Board should be dealing with it this in this moment and frankly should be dealing with inequity in all that they do. They should be looking at the work that they do through a, through a racial equity lens. You know, uh, whether it's when organizations are looking at the work they do internally and externally, they should be, they should be applying a racial equity lens applying um, an equity mindset, which I know we'll talk about a little bit later, um, applying an equity mindset to all that they do. And so I think those are some of the hurdles in terms of the mindsets that boards sometimes bring to this work. And um, we, we want to facilitate a change in mindset um, as it relates to, to the, how boards approach the work. And to do that, Jim, and you addressed this in our last episode to some extent and have already today, um, we've just got to create these conversations, right? Or, or do you see that as a staff responsibility in many cases? Or we, we've got to bring people into the room so that if our, our board is not diverse and they continue to just discuss this stuff in an ivory tower, um, we're never going to make progress. So I guess, long way of saying, how do we create these conversations so that this is not just a moment, but a movement 
to address issues of inequity? Well, you know, I think this is a this is a great moment actually to to, to discuss. I would say um, our our board source CEO uh, Ann Wallastat and and her her recent article on uh, the the four principles of purpose driven board leadership. A good point. Uh, right? Th this is an article that Ann wrote and that was published in uh, Stanford Social Innovation Review <clears throat> in March of 2021. And <clears throat> to give you some context around the article and, and how it speaks to the question you just posed, uh, Patton, um, in this piece, Anne notes that our, our country's growing awareness of its own deep and systemic inequities is prompting lots of reflection and introspection on how institutions need to change. And the social sector itself is asking itself questions um, that center on the issue of whether nonprofit boards as they exist today are equipped to govern the social good organizations for which they are responsible. Uh, now, as I mentioned earlier in, from our leading with intent findings, there are several things that need to change about boards, right? You know, we, we know that they are at this point too disconnected from the communities that they serve. That they are too ill-informed about the ecosystems in which they operate. They're lacking in diversity. They're preoccupied with fundraising at the expense of being less expense, less effective in other key areas of responsibility. Right. So, so in Anne's piece, she states that boards need to adopt a new mindset that is characterized by the, the four principles of purpose-driven board leadership. Now, now, those four principles are the following. The, the first is purpose before organization. So what we're saying there is that a board should um, prioritize the organization's purpose, the reason for which the organization exists versus the organization itself. The second uh, principle is respect for the ecosystem, which is an acknowledgement that the organization's actions can positively or negatively impact its surrounding ecosystem. And it's also a, a commitment to being a respectful and responsible ecosystem player. The third uh, principle is, is to have an equity mindset. Uh, what we mean by equity mindset is that boards should have a commitment to advancing equitable outcomes and really um, interrogating and questioning and avoiding the ways in which the organization strategies might reinforce systemic inequities. And then the fourth and final principle is around, is the, is the principle of, of authorized power and voice, which is a recognition that organizational power and voice must be authorized by those who are impacted by the organization's work. So, Patton, you asked a question about boards and how they can have conversations in this space to talk about um, to talk about equity. The question you, you posed was around equity, um, and I think this discussion of purpose-driven board leadership is inclusive of equity, but is even broader than that in, in many ways. Right, because it's really looking at a, a, an entirely new mindset, not really a new structure for a board, but really a new mindset, a new lens through which um, an organization, a board views its work and views its responsibilities, really look through this purpose-driven sort of lens. So um, that has been uh, a terrific new uh, sort of idea that we have raised with boards um, since uh, Anne's article in March of, of uh, 2021. And we've been doing lots of webinars with um, with philanthropic organizations, as well as with non-grant making nonprofits on this topic. And it has generated some great conversations and, and thoughts from organizations that are eager to understand how these principles can be applied to their work. 
It's fantastic. And I have recommended it as well. Um, at minimum, it seems to me something, an article that could be distributed to a, a board for their reading, put it on the agenda for a board meeting, if not a retreat to really unpack it. But it, is that what you've seen, Jim? You've seen organizations kind of utilize these kind of four principles as a framework for discussion. And in fact, that does answer my question. This is a tangible way for you to do something, at least to start the conversation. Yes, yes. I would like to share um, some of the feedback and some of what we've seen um, thus far since since the introduction of the article. And, and we've done several sort of virtual convenings um, with groups to talk about the article. Um, I, we, we're finding that there are some great conversations that are happening and that there's an eagerness among organizations to, to take this mindset and apply it to their own organizations to see kind of how their organizations, how these principles relate to their work. And so uh, I'll share with you a few pieces of feedback that I've gotten just from the uh, webinars and different convenings I've been a part of. Organizations, um, they absorb these principles, they hear about these principles, they ask questions. And, and the questions they ask are things like, well, gee, um, if we start thinking about purpose before organization, um, if that's how our boards begin to be oriented in terms of how they approach the work, is that going to mean that more organizations will will fold, or that there'll be there'll, there'll be more organizations that decide to merge um, because of this focus on purpose before organization itself? Right. And and I think that's a fair question to ask, a good question to ask. And and, and my response to that is that um, I don't I do not know if it would lead to more mergers uh, or more organizations that that cease to exist in their current form. But I will say this: I do think it would lead to scenarios in which there would be less of a stigma, if you will, attached to the idea of an organization ceasing to exist in its current form. Um, because I think if we were serving purpose and if, if boards were really focused on purpose, then in, if they're asking themselves the question of what is, what is the best course of action for the organizations, for the overall purpose for which the organization exists, and the, and the best overall course of action turns out to be a merger, right. then that's, and that's the right thing to happen. That is the best thing to happen for the community being served. It, it's the best thing to happen for the ecosystem. And so, um, so those, so there could be more mergers, but whether there are more mergers or not, there would be more of an openness to discussing uh, mergers or, or stronger strategic alliances because there would be less of a stigma in terms of thinking about organizations ceasing to exist, or um, less of a stigma in terms of just thinking that. That, oh, if we don't continue to exist in this form, then we have somehow failed. Yeah, we, right. That is not that is not the case. And so we want to change that mindset in terms of that orientation. Um, I would also say that um, we have had some organizations say that, well, are you telling us when you talk about this preoccupation with fundraising as being one of the reasons, one of the factors that leads to this thinking around purpose-driven more leadership, are you saying that fundraising is not important? And again, as we've talked about, Pat, and certainly not saying that fundraising is not important. But again, we're just saying that fundraising has its place in terms of the responsibilities of a board and that a preoccupation with fundraising can be unhealthy for, yes. for that board in terms of fulfilling its other responsibilities. So we, so we really wanna clarify that. And then the third thing I would just say, the final thing on this point I would say is that boards, um, they assess these four principles and they begin to think about it and, and say to themselves and sometimes say to me, yeah, I, I agree with these principles. I, I will say for our board, this equity mindset principle might be, might be especially challenging. 
or this authorized voice and power principle, um, or perhaps the respect for the ecosystem. Different boards have different, people have different responses in the moment as they begin to consider these questions. Right. And I think they're eager to, to bring these questions back to their boards um, and bring these principles back to their boards and just kind of grapple with them, grapple with these, these principles and how they apply. Um, and, and just, yeah. yeah, and I would just say to, to facilitate those conversations, we have created a conversation starter guide that provides um, three sort of optional exercises that a board can go through to begin to, to understand how the principles of purpose-driven board leadership can be applied to their work. And so we have a, a document that we share with organizations and, and we encourage them to to try out at least one of those three optional exercises as a way of introducing themselves to purpose-driven board leadership and beginning the process of, of, a, of adopting this mindset. Yeah, I love that. And, and it's a resource we will absolutely lift up in the show notes. And because you're right, it's just easier to avoid topics that are difficult or uncomfortable. But as board and staff leaders, it is our job, I think, to kind of make sure this topic rises to the top and is discussed. And again, grateful, Jim, you and BoardSource have resources to help us address that. You know, as you talk to funders, which I know you do as well, is there some encouragement that funders are recognizing these same issues and in fact are willing to invest in organizations that are willing to have these tough conversations and try to move the needle in their community? Um, well, I would say certainly um, that as we've, we've talked in in, the, in both the, the philanthropic and the non-grant uh, making nonprofit spaces, and, and there's been, I would say the, the conversations have been um, equally engaging. Uh, and, 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 and I should note as well um, that uh, Phil Buchanan uh, of the Center for Effective uh, Philanthropy uh, has written a wonderful blog uh, that we have on our site um, that speaks to to the importance of this piece that Anne has written and the importance of adopting this principles of uh, the four principles of purpose driven mindset uh, as as an approach uh, the board should take. And so there's there's real that was a real endorsement um, from Phil um, from from his perspective as as a social sector leader in the philanthropic space. And um, so yes, we, we're seeing we're definitely seeing quite a bit of of conversation and support uh, and encouragement um, around these principles, understanding that, that we're not, no one's saying that it's, this is easy and that you, know, you can flip a switch and by tomorrow you will have adopted all of these principles. Right, not saying right. that at all, but saying that there is a process, that it, while it is a process, that it is something that, that boards can, uh, can adopt and we would encourage them to adopt over time as they, as they begin to ask themselves these sorts of questions, as they begin to to apply this sort of purpose-driven lens to what they do and to the decisions that they make, um, or even to the decisions that they've made in the past. If they were to go back and say, you know, let's look, look at this most important decision we've made most about six months ago. Um, if did we apply a purpose-driven lens to it? Um, and if we didn't, what would we what would we have done differently if we had applied that lens? We think those are the types of exercises the boards uh, we encourage boards to to take on. I love that. And again, I'm delighted you lifted up Phil Buchanan, who was a wonderful guest on this podcast. And in fact, Jim did indeed lift up Ann's article 
uh, as a resource. So we will continue to uh, reciprocate the awareness that uh, you and Phil and Ann are are lifting up in our sector, which is you know so important. You know, Jim, as you look ahead, you and Board Source, I'm sure you continue to unpack the leading with intent report on a on a daily basis, I'm guessing. But where do you go from here? You know, I guess will you continue to file away the feedback and then I guess that will shape the next leading with intent report? Right. Well, um, we we will certainly we're certainly um, tracking the feedback we're getting from or, from organizations and individuals who are consuming the reports, and um, I, I, we're certainly finding that they're appreciating the the information that we've provided through the through the study. Um, and uh, you know, we we don't I, I don't think we've begun the process yet of really figuring out kind of what's the next phase of the of our, of our research right now. Right. I think we right now we continue to be focused on just just, just disseminating the information in this 2021 report. Right. And, and uh, you know, we will, we're certainly beginning to think about kind of what's next in the research space, but uh, pretty, pretty focused right now in terms of this new research that we've done. Um, I would also add that um, as we think about looking ahead, you know, we have just finalized content for a, a new book called Putting Purpose First. Oh, wow. And uh, with, uh, an anticipated launch uh, in the fall. Um, it is essentially a, re- a reimagination of, of the book, um, Board Fundamentals. And it puts the board's role in setting direction, providing oversight and ensuring resources through a purpose-driven lens. So, so this book, pur- pur- Putting Purpose First, is very much aligned with the, the four principles of purpose-driven board leadership. Um, so that's something that we can look for, everyone can look forward to um, coming in, in, in the fall. That's fantastic. And you know me, I am a a fan of all good books. And so I'm delighted to lift up one and give a preview of one that will be out this fall. And uh, again, Jim, it's among many pieces of great advice you're offering our listeners that is there anything else as you ponder all the kind of content that nonprofit leaders are considering anything else that you would really want to reinforce as we close our discussion today? You know, I would just say, um, as I think about something I'd like to reinforce, you know, Pat, and I'm thinking back to our last, the conversation we had back in March of 2020. Um, uh, and I, I was talking, I remember then speaking about um, making sure that as leaders, we stay informed and we, we track what's happening around us within society, um, because we, we don't work, none of us works in a vacuum, that, that the work we do has to be done in, a, in the context of understanding kind of where we are within, within that larger ecosystem. And I think I would just double down on that today when I think about the fact that you and I talked in early March, 2020. And while in some ways that's not that long ago, I, I, I also just marvel at how much has changed in our society in our, and in our ecosystem in the, in the 17 or 18 months since that conversation that you and I, you and I had then. You know, we, we didn't at that point really understand what the pandemic was, or it was really just beginning to happen. And we certainly had no idea what it would turn into. You know, none of us had any, had heard of George Floyd at that time. And we had no idea that his, his tragic murder, along with the murders of other, many other unarmed black people at the hands of, of law enforcement would, would ignite such a passionate national conversation right. on the issue of racial equity. Um, these types of society altering events can really change our perspectives on how Nonprofit leaders are called to lead. 
And so I would just encourage nonprofit leaders to be mindful of this fact, to continue to watch what's happening around us and to, to continue to be responsive to what is needed now and, and for the longer term. It's great advice, Jim. And again, it's, I think, fundamental to nonprofit leadership. You have to be a learner and focus on things that help you individually, but also, as you so well put, we've got to be sensitive to the community around us and where we and our organization fits in. So thank you for lifting that up. Thank you for lifting up lots of resources that we will uh, add to the show notes. And as always, Jim, if I can ask for a parting gift, how about another book? (laughs) You've mentioned several in our conversations, but what's one that's on your mind now that you might recommend to our listeners? Sure. Um, you know, and, and this book I'm going to recommend is, um, it is a, it's a professional development book, but it's more than that uh, in some ways. And I'm thinking about um, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And what strikes me about Outliers is that it provides a lot of ideas and um, thoughts around what makes for, for a person to be successful in, in, in whatever way you define success. But what strikes me, what struck me about outliers were three particular things that, that spoke to me. Um, the, one of which is the importance of, of practice and preparation in the work that we choose to do if we, want really, if we really wanna become proficient, if we really wanna become experts in it. So, so whatever we choose, just having that dedication and commitment to, the, to putting in the work necessary. Um, the second thing that the book calls out is, is really making sure that you love what you do. Um, love what you do so that you will be willing to do the work that's required. Um, and then the third thing is kind of related to loving what you do, but the third thing is figuring out what fulfills you. You know, um, And so for me, I can say that you know, having worked across corporate and nonprofit and, and local government sectors, the, the thread that links all of the things I've done is that I, I've, I've always known I wanted, wanted to do work that leads to access to opportunity for communities that have been stor- historically underserved. And so that's the, that's the through line for me in, in terms of the work I've always done. And that's the through line for me when I think about what fulfills me, um, what, what has fulfilled me in, in previous roles and, and what continues to fulfill me in, in my current role. So um, Outliers really calls out many other things in addition to those things, but those are the three things that, that really particularly resonated for me. Great advice, Jim. And I'm glad you're calling for a reflection, a self-reflection that's important that all nonprofit leaders do take time to step back and consider those exact questions. And you're right, Outliers is a favorite of mine. And I agree, it allows someone to ponder those important topics. So. Thank you again, Jim, for that and everything else. Where can people find, again, more about you and the great work you're doing at BoardSource? Well, I would just invite everyone to, uh, to go to BoardSource.org, um, where you'll find the Leading with Intent reports, both the, the core report and the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion report um, that we've recently released. Um, you'll find our uh, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion website. Um, Lots of res- lots of other resources that that's uh, are can be helpful to boards. Information on, on our board support program, which is a, a wonderful uh, program that boards um, boards can that, that that's available to boards to help support their continued development and effectiveness. Um, so I would just encourage everyone to go to boardsource.org and um, and find 
lots of resources that can assist you in, in the work that you do. Jim, much appreciated. Thank you again for joining me on the path. Thank you again, Pat. And it's a pleasure to be back with you again today. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jim as much as I did and came away with some very practical ideas as to how you can improve the dynamic of your nonprofit board of directors. Don't forget the show notes. They are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com. You can find out more about Jim, the Leading with Intent report that he and I discuss, and multiple tools and resources that Jim references. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe. Just go to that podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll see links to all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features we're producing at least once a month. And if you like this episode, you certainly need to check out Jim's earlier appearance back in 2020. It was episode number 35, where he and I discuss board source more generally and the many ways it can help you and your nonprofit organization. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.